Welcome everybody to Distory with Kate and Kirk. My name is Kate, aka the Disney Cicerone, and joining me is my wonderful co-host Kirk from Walrus Carp. Tonight we're going to be continuing our series of the Jungle Cruise, History of the Jungle Cruise, and we'll be talking about mainly construction. How did they build the Jungle Cruise? And what were some of the interesting things that they did along the way to do so? Maybe some problems that they ran into. Who inspired parts of the ride? So we're going to dig into that history tonight. Um, and we found some, both Kirk and I, I think, have found some very fascinating things to share with you guys. And we're really excited about it. How are you doing, Kirk? What you got? <laughs> I'm, I'm great. It's thank you. Thank you. No, the, I like how you did an amazing intro and you, you still botched the, hi, how are you? Thanks. I appreciate the support. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. Uh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you uh, for the amazing intro. And for I'll those that <laughs> for those that can't see uh, Kate, who are listening, uh, Kate has a new shirt, uh, a really great Schweitzer Falls uh, shirt on DisneyCicerone.com. So you can be a part of that O2H club and show your support. And it also $2 is getting donated to... Uh, Help some clean water efforts. So I, I just wanted a little pluggy plug. Yeah, yeah. $2 from every shirt will go towards the water project, which uh, promotes, um, they they provide clean access, uh, sorry, direct access to clean drinking water for people in sub-Saharan Africa. And there's a specific reason why I chose this shirt and that donation. So we'll get into that as we head to, when we get to Schweitzer Falls in this episode. But um, it is available on DisneySisterone.com if you're interested in getting your own uh, Schweitzer Falls shirt and also helping donate to the water project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right. I had, I had prefaced before we started uh, this episode that I need to go backwards in time. And we had talked about the origin story of this and the inspirations and, and mainly speaking about uh, the True Life Adventure docuseries with animals as well as the African Queen. However, uh, I got into a spirited conversation with former Imagineer uh, who has worked extensively on the Jungle Cruise, Kevin Lively, and he uh, prompted me to look at another film. And I didn't look into this film. And he goes, yeah, you really should. And this will actually tie in a little bit later to uh, artistically our thatched roof debate as well, which we'll get to in a little bit. But the, the name of the film, I'm going to flip this around, is Mogambo, oh, yeah, which uh, storied, uh, starred Clark Gable as well as Ava Gardner and Grace Kelly. And it basically was a safari adventure that occurred in the early 50s. Uh, and it's a safari, but they it's like this love triangle between these two ladies in the jungle. However, you'll notice if you look at the imagery, you get lots of that thatched bamboo. And even if you look at Clark Gable's clothing, it's very what I would consider the now style of the Jungle Cruise kind of clothing. <laughs> remember, remember in Skipper Canteen, the one book that was like the 50 shades of khaki? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I get here with uh, with <laughs> Magumbo. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I love Clark Gable and Grace Kelly. Uh, yeah. So. Iconic, iconic. And yeah, I, I mean, Afri African Queen, we clearly see the distinctions between uh, the way that the boat is shaped and whatnot. But there is a lot of references um, to Magumbo as well. No, I love that. 
So put it on your movie list for this week, historians. <laughs> I feel like we really should do watch parties of these things because they would be so much fun. So I think know. I think it would make things a little bit more well-rounded at some point. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, that would be really fun. I love that. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for going back before going forward, because I think that was an important detail for us to um, have in this series. Um, so we're talking about ride construction, and I know that we I'm going to go back just a tiny, tiny bit to a previous episode to mention um, <laughs> when we're talking about true life adventures and the the way that the they designed the kind of like the shape of the ride, so to speak, was kind of um, they're originally going to have it be. Um, an island in the middle of a lake that you would go around and then we talked about how everybody would go and look on one side of the boat and the other people wouldn't see anything and how that wasn't fair so they eventually decided on they were they were then they were going to put a river through the middle of the island so you would go kind of across the lake on a boat and then go down a river that was in the middle of the island and then go back but they had a lot of problems with like how fast they could load people and I think they even suggested a speed boat and then that was like obviously not what Walt wanted he wanted it to be a slow moving boat ride so then they ended up, I'm like, okay, well, we'll just do a river ride, not this like ditch the lake concept. So that's kind of how we got to this point. Now they actually have to construct the river. How are they going to go do that? Hmm. So luckily we have a lot of footage from this. <laughs> like they recorded yeah, we do. pretty much we the do. whole thing, which is so great. <laughs> now I have, I have queued up the video uh, with narration of Tony, Tony Baxter. So whenever we need to chamber that. Okay. So the river length um, is uh, 1,640 feet. So this is the river's length. But it looks kind of like it's a, a very kind of crazy mess of a river. If you look at it from an aerial view, it's very like serpentine and kind of bizarre, which actually I think helps you feel a little bit lost when you're in it because you can't predict where you're going to go next. Um, but basically the way that they did this was uh, Harper Goff and the Imagineers relied on drawings right we can see that in the concept art that's that's what they did they were animators so that's how they were going to build things but when they got to thank you kirk um when they got to the construction bid stage the contractor shockingly demanded blueprints instead of drawings (laughs) (laughs) who knew right (laughs) Um, wait what (laughs) what um so they had to figure out how they were going to lay this out. And this is like one of my favorite Jungle Cruise stories. Um, some of you might have already heard this one before. But um, uh, so Harper Goff took a stick and he traced like the left side of the river. And then he walked 10 to 15 feet across and then traced the right side of the river and then had the bulldozer go down the middle and pull the dirt out between the like and they put stakes down and then they, they have the um the bulldozer went down the middle and then put the dirt on the sides. So that's how we got the banks of the Jungle Cruise was just from the channel of the Jungle Cruise. Um, but do you want to talk about how what they did with the Jeep, Kirk? Well, yeah, I just works. hang on. Let me find my where's my Walt picture. I am. There we go. <laughs> so they actually there, there was multiple cars that they would drive through the trenches uh, of the Jungle Cruise to actually see how the scenes would kind of lay out. And then, of course, remember, we had talked about plants and landscaping uh, the previous week. So you can see one of the trees in that planter box that were uh, moved over this way. But I just I love this picture of Walt as he's just driving through the trenches of <laughs> <laughs> the jungle cruise so it's it's funny to think about these places uh not being flooded with water and uh not being cement and and not being finished 
So every time I look at these pictures, I just go, I think we're all a work in progress. We're all a <laughs> we're all a Jeep in a jungle cruise trench, you know, and ev eventually, <laughs> so eventually yeah. we'll get through the track, you know. Yeah. I mean, everything starts somewhere, right? You know, mm -hmm. and that's that's so true of us, too. Do you know much about the Jeep? Because I've got a few notes on no, it. No, have at it. Have at it. Okay. So what they would do before the crew finished digging down too deep or building up too much, um, Harper Goff uh, would hop into this Jeep and then drive around and see how much space was needed for the, the boat. So what they did was they um, actually created a frame that they put around the Jeep and they, they attached it to it <laughs> that was the length of the boats and the width of the boats so that they would know if it hit or scraped or didn't have enough turning radius that they needed to fix it. So it was like a giant, giant frame that they stuck on the jungle Jeep there. Um, can I can I say something about that interject uh, yeah. without naming names? Uh, I have been on an experience where it was not on a track and it was a freestanding boat and the canal is very, uh, very narrow. So it's very plausible based on your pilot. You may scrape against the side or smash into other areas. So it's totally <laughs> plausible. And I, I think. Being on a track is is a great it's a great way to make it more efficient. Yes, absolutely. I definitely have some notes on the track, but they said um, I have a quote from um, Harper Goff. He said, we finished laying out the Jungle Cruise River with all its twists and turns and made a mock up of the cruise boat and mounted on the Jeep so we could fit it around the course of the river and under the waterfall. I was anxious about it and looked forward to making that first run with no one looking in case there were problems. But before I could start, Walt came roaring up. He had heard I was going to make a test run and wanted to come along. Luckily, it went very well. Yeah, Walt I love roaring that. Up. <laughs> uh, should I? I, I kind of feel like this is the point where I should be interjecting our video here. And even without we can do it without Tony Baxter or with Tony Baxter. Um, because it, it shows us in the trench, yeah, <laughs> driving in the trench. Let's for sure do that. And then we'll have to we'll have to come back. We'll put pin in it. But we got to come back to that Nash Rambler because I got a whole bunch of history on that. But let's definitely go to the about the actual vehicle. Mm -hmm. OK, yeah. well, why, why, don't, why don't you do why don't you do the vehicle first before we climb aboard into it? <laughs> OK, so the Nash Rambler, I'm going to have to pull up a video in a second for that. But the Nash Rambler um, was going around the river because it was part of a promotion because it was actually their sponsor, American Motors. So this was all a promotional stunt to have the Rambler driving around in this trench. OK, and um, it was uh, part. It's interesting because they have an ad from 1955 for Nash Rambler that is an interesting part of Disney's history because of it starring Mickey Mouse and him having him and Minnie Mouse assuming they're married because they've got two kids in the backseat, which was just like unheard of. And they have this, um, yes, you can see how they, so they put Disneyland on the side, they put Disneyland on the back. I think it's gold leaf that's on there. Um, and this was a big giant ad, not only for Disneyland, but also for Nash Rambler. Um, and so I do have the commercial and I feel like you guys have to see at least part of it. Um, they're a very mid-century modern style of animation because they were made, um, they were produced not by Disney Studios, but by Walt's niece, Phyllis Bounds and her husband, George Hurl. And their company, Hurl Productions, um, operated on the Disney lot at first and drew on Disney artists and Disney resources to produce its TV spots. So it's not it's not officially Disney, but it's related to Disney. And so that's why, like, Mickey's storyline is like, like, Mickey and Minnie didn't get married, right? But how come they're driving around with two kids in the Nash Rambler? So, <laughs> um, 
They also, before I show you this commercial, the, the parallel parking scenes in this were shot on the Disney lot, as was the, um, the there's an overhead shot demonstrating the car's tight turning radius, which was filmed from the roof of one of the sound stages on Disney Studio. So very much tied into Disney Studio's um, thing. So let me see if I can get it queued up because that wasn't the video I had ready first, but... Millions of people viewing Nash cars at Disney's greatest show on earth. <laughs> Luckily, the Nash News covered uh, this Disneyland story. <laughs> how nice Nash of them. News. All right. I don't know how loud this is going to be, so brace yourselves. I guess there is new magic in every mile. As Live we just a little, made. Kirk. Come on. Drive well, look, but yeah, yeah. This kid's really living a little. Look at him. <laughs> like none of them had seatbelts. Zero. Zero seatbelts. Actually, in I'm into this Nash Ramblers. Look at that. It's like a futon the way it lays back. I, I, If I could lay down in a in a car like that, I'm in. The Nash Ramblers, a, I'd be living in style. I like its styling. Not going to lie. I think it's a it's it's a pretty car. <laughs> it's it's no uh what was it the family truckster what was the name of that one and uh I think you know what's crazy is like they drove the, they drove this thing all over the place inside the park you know mm-hmm. like here you go it's in fantasy <laughs> just yeah if- it was one of its major sponsors for Disneyland back in the day so that's that's why we have it driving around the Jungle Cruise because they're gonna show it's got that tight turning radiuses and everything because mm-hmm. you didn't have those in the Jungle Cruise so yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. So that's my little spiel. There's there's a whole bunch more history on American Motors, but we're we're sticking to the Jungle Cruise today, so I won't go into all of it. But yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a. I mean, the history of using uh, sponsor to pay is still like Tron is by enterprise. Right. Like that's just that's just the the way the of order, right. Yeah. Pick it's yeah. The people. Which Come on, Space Mountain Refurb by Enterprise. Come on, Enterprise, are you listening? (laughs) How many rental cars are you guys got? (laughs) Yeah, they could could sponsor two attractions. They're not doing too poorly these days. Just saying. No, no. Okay, let me me put the volume up here and flip this back around. 
we can go into the jungle cruise now do you want me to go a little bit further back i skipped a little bit where the boat was and went um, more to where you want to show that are. model real quick because we talked about that model last week um that there is this this model that is actually on display right now at hollywood studios that's what we see here um but we don't see this all is a of model of adventureland i've never seen it in color other than it was installed at disneyland in a preview center area and resided there many years but i've never seen it photographed in color so this is kind of again a very unique element some of this was used in early yeah so this is where we have that thatched boat that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode you can see it really clearly there that there's that one and i actually have well we'll do we'll do boats in a few minutes maybe yeah i was gonna say yeah. don't don't get too, too caught up all right i know cool. Almost got, i got excited like, I've seen the I, know. I, I get it i get it i get it davy crockett at the front yeah <laughs> or it's indiana jones <laughs> And this is about where today you'll find the piranhas just after uh, Schweitzer Falls. If you're in Disneyland. Now there again is that stand of eucalyptus, which is there to this day and provides a great blockage so you don't get the very radically different quality of Main Street from the jungle. It's beautifully obscured by that row of trees. I'm going to point out a couple of trees in here. The two large palms stood at the front of Ron Dominguez's house, which was on the property and was sold to Walt. And they were beautiful, full-size specimens of palms. And we, to this day, call that the Dominguez Palm. And when you're getting your next Fast Pass for the Indiana Jones ride, <laughs> take a look at what's right to your... Um, right and, and you'll see that that palm that's in the picture right now and ron dominguez was the owner of the property he was the son and he went on to become a ride operator at disneyland and, and actually became the head of running disneyland for many many years so you can see them bulldozing and running literally just regular cars the through these trenches as well down there became banyan roots those were walnut trees and the trees has got the idea of cutting roots off turning them upside down and making them look like amazing jungle gnarly old stumps and i thought it was beautiful because again they were trying to get the most value out of everything they could and those were left over from the orange groves we're looking out towards the hub this facility here was the adventureland veranda which eventually became the tiki room now harper goff who was the art director on the jungle cruise and also did Twenty Thousand leagues into the sea and the Vikings and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory told me a wonderful story that is very different from how we would design the layout for this jungle ride. He took a stick and with the bulldoze operator, he drew what would be the left side of the water and then went about 10 feet over and drew what was the right side of the water. And then he said, all right, take all the dirt in between these two lines and pile it up and make the banks on either side of this. And that was how they carved out this ride. So they didn't have to haul the dirt away. They didn't have to do any drawings or anything. They just, you know, did it right there with two guys working in the field. It's amazing. Amazing how beautiful the track layout is. I think it's one of the most convoluted trails you can imagine, and in so doing makes it seem like you've gone all over. And this is Harper Jones, model of the uh, rock work for Schweitzer Falls. I'm going to stop there. Yeah, because we could, yep, we'll we don't want to go. We don't want to go too far ahead. We'll we'll. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you want to fast forward just a little bit to the part where they're doing the tracks? Do you want to show that part? Um, yeah. Hang on. Let me just get so to that part. they did. They bent the rail for the tracks using a machine, which I think is really fascinating. 
um, how they kind of make it work. And so he'll he'll pull up a, a clip for that. Now this machine is actually bending the track. You can see the guy sliding it as it makes that curve. And there would be a limit to the tightness of the radius that that bow could do. So they had to be completely accurate on that so that the tail end of the boat didn't slam into the the bank. very long again those are the two palm trees from Dominguez estate this was a beautiful loading dock and i don't know why it was taken out other than i heard that the jungle grew up so much that the idea of watching the boats from that top deck became a moot point all right we'll talk about more of that when we get to the the um q episode as well but um for the tracks when he talked about how they had to be careful going mm -hmm. around those curves that actually was true um even today, the skippers have to be careful going around like the C and S curves um, near the um, the hippo pool and the falls in particular, because the back of the boat will actually lift off the tracks and then they get stranded. So um, the skippers slow down specifically for those spots so that they don't get derailed. Um, but they did add a fin in the 1970s that helped alleviate that problem. It just kind of just added something to the bottom of the boat that made it so that it wouldn't um, unlatch as, as much because of the wakes of the boats. Um, it was largely that was what caused it. So it was interesting because um, Kirk actually found, so proud of you, Kirk, you found a, um, some document um, that is the standard operating procedures for the Jungle Cruise. And I was reading through that and they, they do say, caution will be exercised at all 90 degree turns. Um, at the falls, leaving Hippo Pool, um, and particular attention must be paid to boat speed approaching these points. Excessive speed at these points, followed by a marked decrease in speed, will allow the wake to catch up with the boat, causing the boat to be lifted out of the trough. So that was really interesting. It's right there in the SOP. Yeah. So let me, um, I'm going to show you Disney World because I couldn't find Disney, like a lot of Disneyland, uh, but similar ride style. So you can see the tracks without any water uh multiple pictures of that that groove and that inlay and you can see some of the the metal as well inside the in uh the interior of that track but i just i, I love seeing these pictures with no water at all like look this is this is the boa snake section and you can see the root system below and that big sweeping curve it's just a different way to view something that you know so well the african velt we're coming up against uh you know, because that's always it's always amazed me. Because we know that the skippers control. Oh, here you go. This is actually a really great picture where it shows the cement being built up. I think the that's, that's aren't even Disney in place World, though, yet. Right. This is all Disney World, but I didn't yeah. have good Disneyland pictures. So yeah, I, I had like to grab Disney World one too, what I could it's get. The, it's the elephants. But yeah, I think that the Disney World mm -hmm. one, they built it differently so that it is like this trough instead of a pole or a bar the like steel Disneyland. steel yeah mm -hmm. i think they learned from disneyland and then there's like well this is a constant problem with these boats so i think they constructed the that version a little bit differently at least from everything that i have seen um because it it looks really different than all of those that video footage we have from disneyland and you're right i don't actually see any photos of that that's so interesting yeah it was really really challenging i i couldn't find it in any of the videos that we watched there wasn't anything on there um since we're 
Uh, you know what? I think we should go to just boat design in general before we go. Cause I want to talk about boat propulsion. Yeah. I mean, I think so, we're already talking about boats. So I think that that makes sense. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Again, I'm going to rely a little bit on uh, Kevin Lively. I did get a chance to ask him specifically about um, the thatched roofs of why did we lose that in the model that we had saw before versus like the canopies and a big part of it. And this is not confirmed, but he feels it's similar to the Haunted Mansion where the Haunted Mansion is supposed to be. Um, so what you're actually holding right there is the, the Kevin and Jody um, model and that's the one that Kevin Lively uh, actually appreciates and likes and has in his own collection. Uh, however, um, we never see that one actually get built. And his thought process, Kevin Lively's thought process, is that it's possible because the mansion, the haunted mansion, was pristine on the outside and the ghosts take care of the inside, is that mm. Walt didn't want the park to look run down. So instead of getting that really pristine or um, more rustic style steamer boat, which we find in this model, as well as what Kate has up, the Kevin and Jody model. Um, we are getting more of these really nice, like kind of boating style vessels, like steamboat, nice, pristine vessels versus a more rustic adventure um, African queen, dirty style, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. I kind of I thought that that might be why, but I didn't want to assume and then say this is why this is. So I appreciate. Um, well, I mean, it's it, like that. I said, it's an assumption. They they made 500 of these uh, these models as well. They're really, really pretty. They go on auction They're for gorgeous. like four thousand bucks when they do. Um, and remember, we talk about those that slatting uh, and that came from that slatting style. Also, we get from Magumbo. Because they, they use it. I mean, you can see it on the walls. It looks exactly like that Harper Goff concept art that Kate has up currently. So I love that. Mm -hmm. No longer a mystery mystery. We have solved the mystery. No longer. Well, I mean, we're we we're of, we're assuming partially. Um, We've solved the mystery. Of where it's, that I think was it's a, I think from, it's a good. Not, yeah. What happened to it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if it, <laughs> but instead of getting that rustic. We end up getting this. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. I'm showing a picture for those that are listening of Walt in his skipper hat, like not even a skipper hat in his like captain's hat, um, which, oh, hang on. Let's let's leave that up. That's a great picture. So you'll notice, uh, you know, obviously Walt is wearing his Sunday best with a suit. That's just how he preferred to be seen and filmed uh, and photographed. Uh, but the skipper on the right-hand side with Kate or the left-hand side, if you're watching hers, uh, is it's more of like a relaxed T-shirt with a striped print. That's something to be noted because the Jungle Cruise um, skippers originally didn't have a strict, they didn't have a strict uniform. And in fact, most of the time, the skippers would just wear Hawaiian shirts and sun hats or golfing straw style hats. So you, yeah, they literally would wear it. Look, this guy's in flip flops with a Hawaiian shirt and like a somewhat safari style hat. I don't want to get too much into it, but one of the things that they would do is they would, cause the wheels didn't really do anything. They would take a screwdriver and take the wheels and loosen them 
And then when guests weren't looking like behind their back, they would loosen it and go, wait, who's driving this thing? And they'd have the wheel in their head. Like, they, <laughs> like none of this, that was not in the SOP. No, um, no. But this was, this was, this, this style of cruise when it first starts out in the fifties is supposed to be more like uh, true life adventures, uh, historical, and we'll get into scripts and everything in the future. Uh, but we are looking at, and I think this is a good transition, the Congo queen, which of course is, we're talking about the African queen is the um, little bit of that inspiration. And here, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go back to the African Queen for a second, and I'm gonna show you a picture, uh, multiple props, and from the actual African Queen itself, right? So from the film, it actually uh, this this boat gets um, commissioned, and you can actually go to Key Largo and ride the African Queen. It was saved, uh, however, in it was built in 1912 by the Litham Shipbuilding in England, um, which. I actually found these, or Lytham, sorry, Lytham Shipyard. And they had a bunch of, I mean, these are larger ones, these steam vessels um, from the early 1900s, but this was a 1917 style steamer ship and a lot smaller too. Mostly what the Lytham um, company made was much larger vessels. And if you wanted to know if you're a, you're a British person, <laughs> it's just, uh, just northeast <laughs> of Manchester and Liverpool. Well, I mean, like, it'll give you an idea of where this where from. This is like a, a British. Yeah. Or you could go to England or you could, you know, just pretend so you're, you're human, English or British. It's in if you're human. I got, I got, I have, a, I have a, oh, so let me go to the SOP. Uh, this is from Walt Disney World, but Disneyland used a similar setup. So this is an actual primary source stock from uh, Walt Hendrick operating. Procedure. This was from October 1st, 1971. The Operations Division Department Jungle Cruise, opening date October 1, 1971. Number of boats 16, maximum crew um, 26. The trip time nine and a half minutes, capacity per boat 31. The length of channel was 2,000 feet. Total number of animated figures 153. But the big thing on here is the type of engine because I, I, and it is a natural gas we also had a um there was one that wasn't natural gas there was also a regular gas one and palmer made submerged uh engines so quiet compact submergible engines to help power the jungle cruise so when you see your skipper and it's really loud and it's hard to hear the skipper it's be, you can thank the palmer uh m60 for that so enjoy thanks palmer <laughs> it's great um... yeah <laughs> i what <laughs> <laughs> and also you've made every single skipper a um have adhd and like as they they just wiggle the knob like you'll see them like they push it forward they push it back i think they like the click yeah <laughs> that's true i have seen them do that um they do so it all the time the original plan for the boats was to hope they hoped that the river's current would just carry them downstream but they realized pretty quickly that that was just not going to happen so that's why they installed these um, and they, they but they did they had a big concern about gasoline engines because they didn't want fire. They it was a safety concern. And then, so that's how they ended up with um, natural gas with diesel natural gas um, boats. So um, they designed when they designed these boats, they're they're 27 feet boats, foot boats. They're two tons of fiberglass and they hold 36 passengers. Um, 
And this was one of the most extensive uses of new material of this new material fiberglass in like the world at that point. This they were really pioneering um, at this point. And so I have a quote that, from Harper Goff that says, "We had the Navy watching us all the time, and when we put the boats in the water, they got permission to come out and they took pictures of everything." That was and he says that was really pioneering in those days. So. Um, the Navy actually was like watching what they were doing because it was impressive. And so I have a little video of them constructing the boats here. You can see them. This is before they're in the water. And, and I actually do have like a... One thing I couldn't find, I couldn't find the underside of the boats. I tried and I failed terribly. I think you can see them when they lift them into the water in this. I'm pretty sure. Okay. But I'll have to look. I think it's in another part of this, but... Um, they had um, they had antiqued mahogany, stained wood, bright brasswork, and black demi stacks, which we've seen from the African Queen, um, and the striped canvas, canvas canopy, which we talked about in the previous episode for landscaping. It was not just a decorative; it wasn't just decorative. It wasn't just like keep the sun and the heat off of you. It was also so you can only see this much. It controlled what the people saw, right? Disney was all about the show and controlling camera angles. You think about that. So you could only see what was here. You couldn't see the fact that the jungle wasn't like a million feet high, right? It was it was still pretty, pretty young at that point. It had only been growing for a year. So having that canopy on it really controlled what you saw of the landscaping. And that was a, a big part of it. So um I let me see if I can go find that other footage of that real quick. Kirk, do you have something? I have a whole bunch. Okay, of I do. But... I do have something to talk about. So yeah, so okay. I'm going to go back to just propulsion. So when these things were, as as Kate had mentioned about fire in the SOPs, it, it mentions, and I have to now look when I'm closer to the front of a skipper to try to see one of these gauges, but it will say what the water temperature is that's running through the engine. So the natural gas boats have a different uh, temperature than the diesel boats. The natural gas boats have 160 degree water temperature. However, there is a degree variance above or below. However, if you experience overheating, as you assume command of your boat, notify your supervisor immediately. Do not come to boat rotation and the temperature is more or less than the normal temperature or the allowable variance, again, no fire supervisor do not operate the boat. If it overheats on the jungle, stop your boat and fire three shots. And operators should continuously watch their temperature gauge. I really need to find these temperature gauges now because I had no idea and now I need to see more. But you had mentioned that you're on a rail, a trough. The boats can go out of the trough which I thought was crazy too. So back when they used the pistols more, uh, they would use them to uh, to basically signal back at the, the loading dock if they were having distress or issues. So if you did six consecutive so uh, shots, like fire, you were out of the trough. And do not attempt to move the boat if you believe you are out of the trough. So that little cement railing section, if the you felt the boat was out. Um, so yeah. Yeah, stay in your so trough. That was cool. Stay. <laughs> I, yeah, stay in your trough. I have a picture, a, a video of them lifting the boats in here, Kirk. Like, oh, okay. So I can now see. Can you pause it real quick? Pause, 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 pause. No, go back. Oh, oh. You can. Do you think that is for 
do you think that's for staging those four pylons with wheels or do you think that's for um do you think they actually are sitting on that underwater as well do you know what i mean because it's got little I'm feet sure. it's got four little feet that's i for wonder sure if they're if they're running yeah i mean uh, something has to run on that rail but i i wonder if they're supporting sides as well so yeah it's just super confusing to me and i'm curious i need to know more okay so then somebody asked if how do they do repair work on them how do they connect them if they get disconnected well this video goes on to kind of give you a little glimpse into that which i love um there is a guy <laughs> who's kind of snorkeling under the boat to go and connect it which i think is just yeah. amazing so <laughs> and you did see you did see a propeller there on the very back there was a very small prop i don't know what size it was but you can tell that they are using an actual propeller versus like a grinded gear kind of situation do you know what i mean yeah yeah could you imagine sure. being in that water yeah i could imagine being in that water well, it's not Be dirty horrifying. per se. I mean, it is now. I it's, mean, it is with guests, but it's gross. But it it's dyed to look this way. So this yeah. is the turbidity of the water was made it look this color. So it wasn't just that, all like really visibility grossness. is so bad, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It freaks it. me out being in murky water, you know? Yeah, it, this is also them. This is when they were going through it to test the waterfall with the boat on the rail. I tell you, they have so much great footage of this. I'll post some of this mm -hmm. in our Discord, so in the um, the Distorians Lounge channel, so you guys can, or the Distory channel, so you guys can see some of this footage. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing how much footage we have of all of these things, of them testing things, of them fixing things. It's just so well documented because you can tell that filmmakers made the park. They're like, let's make a film about us making this film of a park. So love it. I love um, that, though. You know, I mean, so so I'm a huge proponent of documenting the process because the process is very messy and it's really fun to look back at the mess after you have the completed creation. So yeah. whether that's a piece of art or whether that's like for me, I have all of this stuff that seemed silly at the time from Walrus Carp and creating our company. Uh, like I even I have all the shirts that I used and modeled myself that I went to, like here could be a story, right? I would go to Marshall and Ross and buy this one brand of shirt that I really liked the cut that had like fold up sleeves and I bought every single size and I'm literally using a ruler uh, to measure and create my sizing chart to reach out to my manufacturer to make our clothing sizes. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. So it's like, there's, I think that happens a lot with everyone. And I think if you're okay with being messy and failing a ton, like the end result, and I, I think the biggest part is like taking action is so required to be successful no matter what. And it's not gonna be perfect. You're gonna have orange trees upside down. You're gonna be using sticks and troughs. You're gonna be having, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like that that needs to be more presented and appreciated. And yes, Ginge, you are correct. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I feel like too often we see the beautiful end result of something, but we don't see the struggle and the, the everything that came before it. Because, you know, somebody 
asked me the other day and they're just like, you know, your posts are amazing or something. They said some very complimentary things, but I was like, yeah, but I posted for two years before anybody noticed anything that I did. Two years I was posting on Instagram and stuff. I had content for two years and it finally took me that long also to, I was getting better as a creator. I was getting, I was honing my craft and, and becoming, I was figuring out who I was and finding my voice. So don't be hard on yourself if you haven't figured that out for yourself yet, if you're still in that process, because I really feel like you just get better the more you practice it and the more you figure things out. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think most folks, you get so caught up in what the end result should be rather than all the steps that are required to get you to what that end result is in the future, you know, and all of those things layer and stack upon each other as life experiences. And like you're not the same creator that you were when you first started and everything you first make is pretty awful. Yeah. Everything. And I'm not talking about your content. I'm talking about like, like Thanks. my first sunglasses. <laughs> I, I was wearing my first pair of sunglasses, you know, our gen ones on the premium bar today. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't even believe like the difference between the new ones and these ones. It's like just so night and day. It reminds me of like what Mickey looked like as a, of a costume character with that cut mouth in Disneyland and now what he what he can look like with articulated eyes and mouth you know it's just so like you you got it you can't get hung up on it's got to be perfect because it'll never be perfect but he can yeah. always improve so sure. yeah you know? and, um Christina says she would create and delete a lot and I'd say I would encourage you never to do that as a creator unless it's something that turns out you will maybe maybe were super offensive and you didn't realize it or something like that but even then like I would I try not to delete my content the only things I've removed are things that maybe have my kids in it or things that I'm like I don't know if I want now that I'm at this level I don't know if I want the yeah. world to see that because for my safety but the rest of it you know I think it's fun for people to go back and see oh this is how they used to be back in the beginning and it allows them to see I don't have to start at this level I can start here start small and I can build just like they did. And I think it's encouraging for them, even if it's not perfect, even if you bungle through it, like my intro today to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the whole like, hi, how are you part that was tough. <laughs> the rest of the episode was amazing. I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know where that came from. I'm, I'm, I'm single mom in it this week with Elliot out of town. So my brain is like yeah. probably 50% capacity. <laughs> Oh, it definitely. It definitely happens. You, you feel that you, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I was, I was dead after, um, after Bush Gardens today, I came home and I needed a, I slept for like four hours. Cause I just, I'm dead. I do an extra podcast this week, just long days, lots of Legoland day of just all that content plus driving busy. and just, yeah, it was, it was a lot this week. And I just, I was beat up, you know, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I am human. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria, <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. Um your co your content has to be perfect all the time. Oh, gosh, I feel that pressure, but it can't. No, nope, I'm human. I'm just gonna do my thing. Mm -hmm. So well, so let's we have a few I feel like we have to talk at least about Schweitzer Falls before we, we end this one. Because we got we've got to talk about Schweitzer Falls in this because it's oh, part I have, of construction. I I have so much though. I know, but I, I feel like we, I feel like we have to, it's part of the construction. You want to wait? I, I, I have so much though. <laughs> I'm looking at the time, like 
Like we really should keep these not to an hour and a half. <laughs> um, gosh, I could I could do it in twenty minutes, maybe. Let's let's let, I we should just do it. I think we should go for it and just try not to. And away we go. <laughs> I feel like the people deserve to hear about Schweitzer Falls because we've been talking about it. So, sure. Um, let's do it. <laughs> um so should we talk about the, the person first then before we talk about the actual falls walt suggested that this waterfall um they knew they were going to have in the ride be suggested that he named he suggested that it be named after someone famous so harper goff was actually the one who decided to dedicate it to albert falls or dr albert albert sorry dr not albert falls <laughs> albert schweitzer um who was a real doctor he was also um he did a lot of things. He was a theologian, an organist. He was like a professional musician, um, a writer, a humanitarian, a philosopher, a physician, um, a minister. He did he did a lot of things. Um, so he was a friend of Albert Einstein and sometimes got mistake, mistaken for him, which is kind of funny. Um, at age of uh, they look a lot alike. He do. also looks like Mark Twain a little bit. Yeah, I know they all have that similar. Maybe it was just the that was the trend. He's, you just look like this. You got the mustache. You got the. <laughs> That was the trend in that era. Um, he lived, I should say, he was born in 1875 and lived till 1965. Um, at age 31, he was enrolled as a medical student, um, but he didn't have any prior knowledge or experience and headed to French Equatorial, Equatorial Africa in order to serve as a doctor because he, he, quote unquote, wanted to make atonement for all the terrible crimes committed by Europeans in Africa by building a hospital in um, that area of Africa. So um, he met his wife, Helene um, Breslau, who was studying to be a nurse. Uh, I think they, they married in 1912. And so then they got on a boat and went up river. Um, I'm going to say this wrong. Agoe, Agoe River, through the jungles to the village mm -hmm. in, of um, Labarene. 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 Um, he was known to the locals as the great white doctor because of his white coat that he wore, not necessarily his color of his skin. Um, and he helped treated leprosy, dysentery, malaria, syphilis, um, all the injuries and fevers and things you would find in the jungle that nobody had access to curing. So he was considered like a huge hero helping these people kind of in the middle of nowhere with no access to medicine. Um, and he brought all the European medicine with him. So... While he was uh, traveling upriver, he came up with this idea of um, reverence for life. I don't know if you, I don't want, I'm, I've been talking for a while. Did you have something you wanted to jump in there with, Kirk? You got, you, what I have right now. I, I do have a tie-in, but yes, keep going. So he received the 1952 Nobel Peace Prize for his philosophy called the reverence of life, um, which... Um, he was the eighth Frenchman to be awarded that prize. Uh, the phrase reverence for life is a translation of the German phrase Erfurt von, oh, sorry, I'm going to, my German's rusty. Erfurt vor den Leben. These words came to him on this boat trip while searching for a universal concept of ethics of our time. Um, he wrote, ethics is nothing other than reverence for life. Reverence for life affords me my fundamental, fundamental, principle of morality, namely that good consists in maintaining, assisting, and enhancing life, 
and to destroy, to harm, or to hinder life is evil. So the way that um, summed up James <laughs> Rabazon, the author of Albert Schweitzer, a biography, um, he said it this way, reverence for life says that the only thing we are really sure of is that we live and want to go on living. This is something that we share with everything else that lives from elephants to blades of grass and of course, every human being. So we are brothers and sisters to all living things and owe to all of them the same care and respect that we wish for ourselves. Which I love that tie into the Jungle Cruise. And you're showing something ridiculous. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I think I felt like that was a very appropriate <laughs> Walt reverence of life as he's firing the pistol on the Jungle Cruise. Um, I couldn't help so myself. So that ties back into the quote that's found on the back of my shirt that um, Albert Schweitzer said, search and see whether there is not some place where you may invest your humanity. And that was really what he spent his life doing was giving his his entire life back to humanity to help people. Now, he did say a few questionable things about people because of the times he lived in. And there was always things that people said in those times that were maybe not so great ways of talking about groups of people. But for the most part, he really did donate his life to helping. And the hospital is still there today that he developed in that part of Africa. So that's partially it was why. In, I think it was in Gabon. Yeah. The, uh... Yeah. So that is why I decided to design this shirt. I was so inspired by the tale of Albert Schweitzer and the fact that nobody is, nobody really knows this tale that well, that go to Disney. I was like, that he helps so many people. And so that's why I wanted to give $2 from every shirt purchase of this shirt back to those people of that region because he did so much for those people in that region. What I what I also think is is interesting is this this is rooted in actual history, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with Albert Schweitzer. However, this is a joke that's told right before the falls that almost zero people know, right? Yeah. I think like people know Stanley and Livingston, but most people don't know uh, explorers in Africa or people who were uh, philanthropic in Africa, they don't. So yeah, the when the queue up line, yeah, 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 with the with the queue up line, you're you're showing right up to uh, in front. It's it's usually like right here. It'll be like named after Albert, right? And after Albert like, Falls, yeah. Nobody's thinking Dr. Albert Schweitzer. 0, 0.0 people even know that that exists, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, which I think is interesting. So, yeah. after Albert so Falls. So, we, we get that, yeah, we get that wonderful, like, the the famous, I think they call it the beautiful, the beautiful Schweitzer Falls. I call it the legendary here, but um, they call it the beautiful Schweitzer Falls named after the Dr. Albert, and everybody's, like, Schweitzer. It's thinking Schweitzer in their head, and they say Falls instead. And, um. Yeah, that, that he was a Nobel Peace Prize winner for taking mm -hmm. care of people. Like, I love that. I can't even tell you how much I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So. Uh, so I have a couple of things. In the backstory of Disney, Schweitzer Falls actually has a physical location on a map, which is really strange because, uh, I mean, they do talk about, if you think about it in the Jungle Cruise, they talk about Cambodia, they talk about Nile crocodiles, they t you know what I mean? So they are giving us physical locations. Schweitzer Falls, they never talk about it in the actual attraction, but it's located off of the Nile River, uh, but it's really close to Kilimanjaro. So I actually have a couple of images of where I think this would be based on some of the documents that I found. So here's most people when they think about the Nile, Af uh, the Nile River, they're oh, sorry, I'm holding this pen too. they think about uh, Egypt, right? 
because the Nile goes on for Niles and Niles and Niles. And it does. There's so many tributaries too, right? Uh, but there's one that it goes all the way down and goes all the way and intersects right here by um, Kilimanjaro. So I actually think that it's either this section or this, this section by Lake Victoria. Um, so on either side would be the actual physical location of this fake Schweitzer Falls. However, if you look at, I mean, they have some serious rapids there. So this yeah. totally could physically happen. Um, in fact, you can take different various tours and go whitewater rafting, which uh, can this be a history, history trip? where we just go and actually <laughs> yes. whitewater raft, at, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, on I'm the in. Zambezi River in Kilimanjaro. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, let's, let's do so, it. I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was interesting because I had never I never known that there was a physical location tied to it as well. Yeah, that is interesting. Do you have any um, other facts about the falls before we go to construction of it? Uh, no, I, I have more structural stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think we're. Someone yeah. asked if it was based on Victoria. They've heard that it's based on Victoria Falls. And I think that it has, it was based on a couple different waterfalls that I've heard. I actually have notes of, I have a sketch of Harper Goff um, that he made to Walt during the construction of it which i okay so this says on the bottom of it it says walt this is what i hope will be known as schweitzer falls which he actually spells wrong don't worry about the junk in the right hand um because new plants will hide this on opening day note this is looking back on the way out and forward coming back and then hg so this is the original notes you can see he would send walt notes with photographs of the progress of the falls. And so this is what his actual note to Walt Disney at the bottom. And this is part of the construction of it there, which we'll talk about more. Um, I have this one too, that is, this is a great photo because you can see the, um, the shape of the falls taking, taking the kind of like um, in the top there, that little kind of U-shaped concrete is Schweitzer Falls. And then this is Main Street USA that is in front of it. So you can see how close Schweitzer Falls is to Main Street USA. Literally on the other side of those buildings is the Jungle Cruise, which is why, which we'll talk about more in our sounds episode, but which is why Walt Disney could hear the sounds of the Jungle Cruise so much on his uh, firehouse apartment was because it was just literally up against the backside. We saw in that video that Kirk showed earlier that they had that stand of eucalyptus that was kind of dividing it from Main Street, which is still there today from what I saw when I went back there. But yeah, Schweitzer Falls, very close to Main Street, USA. <laughs> you don't think about when you're mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And then the actual construction of it, um, it was made by another company, a structural engineer, Bill Wheeler, and his associate, John Weiss, designed the steel frame to hold the water some 20 feet in the air and then cantilever it over the river. Um, they also had huge electric pumps to feed the falls that were supplied by electrical engineer Jacob Samuel Sam Hamill. Um, and so then they have the, con there's a, con a steel and concrete base. And then we have a video of this too, of from that one with 
that we talked about we had earlier um they had a steel concrete base and then they would they would cover it with gunite like the swimming pool material and then they would put another layer of concrete over it and then carve that to give it texture um and make it look like rocks so the pool that feeds the falls um is about 1200 cubic feet of water uh, 9,000 gallons. So it really did need to be a strong structure because of that. Um, and it and then it weighs more than 37 tons. Right. There it is. I love that that model. And this is Harper there Johnson. Here's right. Harper with his model of the uh, rock work for Schweitzer Falls. And I think having the that's the guy art direction, they knew how to do this, applying the metal lath on a, a paper base and then shooting it with what's called gunite, like you do a swimming pool. And then another layer of cement after that's dried is put on, and that is actually carved to get the beautiful textures. And we still do this pretty much basically the same today. And uh, the finish is so permanent that the Matterhorn and many of the structures like Schweitzer Falls are still there 50-some years later. Now, this is from our piranha pool looking back at Schweitzer Falls and back into the native encampment. So it's interesting. There's, again, one of those upside-down trees. So it's interesting that he says that other ones are, are still standing and still working, but this one actually collapsed back in, I think it was 2004, might've been early 2005. Schweitzer Falls actually did collapse at Disneyland, the original one did, um, because it was just old and um, it was in very poor structural shape. So they completely rebuilt it. And then what they did, I have, I'll show you two pictures I'll show you two pictures of the waterfalls side by side um, that what it used to look like and what it looks like now, um, because they now the waterfall extends out about two feet further and there's more division in the water than there used to be. Like if you've ever been to Disneyland and you see that there's like three strands of water going down, whereas Disney World, there's like one solid sheet of water. Um, like this is what it used to look like was one solid sheet of water. And so they they've changed that. Well, see, you can still see there's three, but it's more pronounced than it used to be. Um, and then there's also the biggest difference, though, is they they changed their pump, pump mechanisms. So um, what happened was that with even with regular maintenance, the pumps would get clogged. Um, and so every once in a while, they would just like shut off and they would have to keep them off for a while to not only fix them, but also because they were overheating and things, they would have to um, do a lot of repair work on it so you would go through and there actually wouldn't be the backside of water there was no o2h there was there was nothing there was because the, there was no water so what they did was they changed the pump system so that instead there would be less water going out they didn't run the pipes the pumps at full capacity so there's less water going down now than there used to be so that the, the pumps don't get overheated so that you can always have the backside of water so this is um let me see if i can find one from today to show you the difference in the waterfall. So this is what, this is a little up close, but this is what it looks like today. Very obviously. Oh, what? what? Different. Mm -hmm. There's lot, there's like no water. Yeah, there's a lot less water. And a lot of people have said that it, uh, you know, oh, it's because of like the water shortage in California and whatnot, but that's not really it because it's just, it's recirculated water from the, the lagoon or the river rather. So it, it has everything to do with the pumps. They don't want the pumps overheating because it's a lot more noticeable to um, have no water there <laughs> than to have less water. So that's why they did that. Which yeah, there's not, really a, interesting. there's not a lot of O2H over there. 
yeah because this is what it used to look like like what you're showing so yeah this unfortunately um so the change was made back in the when it broke in 2004 2005 so it's actually fairly recently ish disney history i feel like that was yesterday but i'm old so <laughs> mm -hmm. um and then we already showed that other one i have this great if you've ever wanted to stand up on the back of the boat of the jungle cruise they did that when they were testing it and there and there was uh the guy who's in his like swim trunks with his mask on that we saw going underneath the uh <laughs> the boat prior he's ready he's ready for any any, any scenario i have to <laughs> Jump in a jump on that tube, get it fixed. Yeah, I have just all kinds. I love this one because you can see how the plants are really just not grown up yet. They're very mm -hmm. young in this one, even though they have a couple tall trees. This is where that canopy really comes into play. And this is, of course, going in front of the falls before they go behind it. So Albert Falls, uh, the the actual not the not the. <laughs> Albert Schweitzer. We're talking about the Albert Falls from the Jungle Cruise, who basically sets up why we even have a ride, the backstory of the ride. So Dr. Albert Falls, he's also coincidentally a scientist, a theologian, and an explorer. And he's navigating the remote rivers of the world. Um, and he discovers things like the sunken Cambodian temple, which uh, if you're non-alcoholic, her name is Shirley. Uh, then you have uh, that was on June 5th, which is kind of funny. June 5th, 1888. I was born June 6th, 1984. So, you know, just weird that June 5th. But anyway, <laughs> then Schweitzer Falls was uh, discovered on August 12th, 1891. Uh, and then in 1911, which we see this in the Skipper Canteen as well, is the establishment of the Jungle Navigation uh, company itself and the jnc also ends up being um a home for himself uh and in a lot of the attractions uh there is these members of a group called the society of explorers and adventurers and in skipper canteen they actually have an sea secret room that you can dine in which is really cool um, but it in that room this is why it's it's interesting and fun for me uh, is you can find a picture of Albert Falls in front of Shirley's Temple. So oh there's gosh. Shirley's Temple. I love that. And there's there's Albert Falls. Um, and I was trying to find her. There's another member of the SEA in here as well. And she's all the way in the back. And her name is Luana Texera. And she's the one that uh, had actually taken this picture so uh, supposedly I can't I haven't found this yet, but in the Skipper Canteen, supposedly her club Fez is somewhere around the library of books, yeah. as well as a certificate of Albert Falls discovering Schweitzer Falls on August uh, 12th, 1891. So I need to go and find where those are in Skipper Canteen. But here is Luana. She's in the back taking the picture. So that would be a, this would be a like, Kevin Lively story. The fezes, I think, are on the left side of, when you walk through those books, there's, there's all the fezes are lined up there on the left yeah. hand side. So if you're looking for them, uh, I, I will be looking for them yet. So that's going to be, I'm going to have to make reservations for when I go in March. Um, 
something I forgot to mention about Albert Schweitzer and the connection to the Jungle Cruise, which we'll talk a little bit more about all of this in the queue later. But if you've ever wondered, um, you know, and they have the last aid station in the queue in Disney World and in Disneyland, if you're up in the upper part, um, the upper deck, the second story, you'll see all these medicine bottles and you only really see them if the queue is pretty long. Um, but you walk by this. This is a nod to, of course, um, the doctor, Albert Schweitzer. So oh, it's like a like a malaria net. Mm-hmm. A malaria net. And there's bottles back there of medicine. So we've got last aid and then we've got. So it's I think I would assume this is a nod to that from what I've seen. This is this is an assumption. This is Kate's assumption. So I'm going to lay that out there. And I'm pretty sure that this is a connection, though, back to Albert Schweitzer and um, all of the, the hospital that he built in Africa and the falls. Those yeah, that would make sense. And in the queue, uh, Albert Falls has his office there. So his SEA Fez is in his office. Um, yeah, well, it's, Alberta it's is his daughter. So in mm-hmm. yeah. Alberta Falls, that's there's also a uh, like a abstract. I don't know what you would call it because it's more like a cubism style of Alberta Falls. There's a uh, there's a painting in Skipper Canteen's like rotunda area in the front. Like while you're still well, waiting. The, the same one is in Disneyland in their queue. So we'll definitely talk about that more when we get into the queue mm-hmm. part. But the exact same painting is in both places. So yes. And uh it. and Jackie Shirley's temple is actually spelled S H I R space L E E. Not Surely that can't be true. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm very serious about it and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> I just found out the other day that that movie is a like a direct spot for spot cut for cut of another airplane movie that's like really serious. So they bought the rights to the other movie and then they just made that remade that movie and made it funny. And I'm like that. I had no idea that airplane (laughs) was straight up taken from. From like another airplane movie and just remade funny. I think that's hysterical. And it's so iconic. It's well done. Well, I know. I think I, I mostly know that joke from Michael Scott. I think he made it famous for our generation. <laughs> oh my gosh! Do I have to do like comedy one hundred and one? No, I, just I do know. I do know. Well, Michael you're, Scott you're a... off every movie, so that's yeah. <laughs> that's what he does. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I don't know the other movie. I'm just saying that's how I think most of our generation would know that joke is probably by Michael Scott of The Office. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I think I've got just one more small thing about construction, unless you have anything else. Do you have anything? Oh, oh, man, I got rid of it was like over 9000 metric tons of water per two minutes. In terms of like churn, it was it was I was like, oh, my God, dude, that's like so much water. And we've mentioned it before, but we should mention it again that this is where they dye. This is where the the dye is mixed and like mixed for the river for the level of turbidity for the color of the water. They're churning it by waterfall. No other river cruise churns their dye by waterfall. Sorry, that's my Willy Wonka impression. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Dude, that's I mean, he talks about that. Like, I thought that was a really cool um, when we found out that they churned it through the waterfall. I thought that was really fascinating because. You know, yeah, it would make sense. And uh, and yeah, they also don't want you to see any of 
the the bottom and the basin of it. So, you know. Yeah. And it is, um, what was it? Three to eight feet deep, I think is what, how deep it was. I wrote it down somewhere here, but it's not, it's about the same as um, the rivers of America are the same. It's two to eight feet deep there, depending. So it's kind of like shallower on the edges and then deeper in the center where the boat goes through. Because I know I made that one TikTok a couple of days ago and people were like, um, where I said people had to get off the boat on opening day and actually walk through the rivers of America to get off because it derailed and like the water was going over the side of the Mark Twain because it was so heavy because they had way too many people on it. So they actually, people would hold their shoes above their head and they would walk out of the water um, on opening day of Disney. And that day was such a disaster, but uh, people were like, they got in the water, they had to swim. I was like, it was two feet deep in that section. So they didn't really have to walk that far, which is true of a lot of these things. So it looks a lot deeper than it is. People were scared to get in the water because it was dyed. Um, so, and you can imagine, like, you look down in the Jungle Cruise and you're like, I don't want to get in there. Who knows how deep that thing is? We just you know? we just had a Jungle Cruise boat sink. Uh, what was that, like two years ago? Yeah. It flooded in Walt fun. Disney World. And <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was on the ground. It was just sunk. You know, one thing that we forgot to talk about, and this is just really short, is we did not talk about the names of the boats. We talked about the boats, but we didn't talk about the names of them. Mm, okay. <laughs> But uh, this is just really quick, just the original names of the boats. Um, the Congo Queen, of course, we've already mentioned in a previous episode because it is the flagship boat named after the African Queen. Um, and then they had the, Gang the Ganges Gal, Suwani Lady, Amazon Belle, Mekong Maiden, um, Nile Princess, and the Irrawaddy Woman were the original boat names. But only the Congo Queen and Ganges Gal were operating um, during opening day. So they just had two boats. Which is probably why people had really long lines and a lot of people didn't get to go on any rides because there was not very many people, things operating. They did, it does have a capacity of 20,000 people per day, though, on the boats. So, Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot to mention it. I feel like I'm like, oh, no, I need to say No, I, I know. It's a non sequitur. That's why I'm just moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, okay. Well, I do have one last great quote from Harper Goff. In terms of wildlife, they really they were going to import birds into the Jungle Cruise to give it more realism. Um, that was one of their early ideas. And so Harper Goff said, Walt had asked me to line up a source of wild birds, crown herons, waterfowl. But when we filled the river with water, all kinds of wild birds found it by themselves. And we canceled all our orders for the exotic ones. So they were going to have all those exotic birds, which kind of ties back into that original prospectus that we talked about where they were going to sell exotic birds in adventureland it's ridiculous yeah decided against that so yeah well that's that i think that's it i don't was that enough <laughs> yeah and hey, it was only uh an hour and 22 minute episode not an hour and a half so we came in under time see i told you we could do it <laughs> mm-hmm <laughs> Well, thank you for this amazing episode. I um, appreciate hanging out and chatting Disney history with all of you guys and you, especially Kirk, too. So it's always so much fun. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for joining Thanks us. Thanks for hanging. Appreciate you guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.